A Christian that is constantly seeking God's will also seeks to grow in the Lord and in what they do for the Lord. We can grow, and honestly, we can grow. Oftentimes, we underestimate how much God can do with us. We can set aside time to do more. We can set aside resources to do more. We can prioritize God a lot more in our schedules. And we can stop underestimating God as well. I titled this message, Sing and Widen Your Tent. Now, in 1712, a man named William Carey surveyed as best as he can the then known world. And he wrote down their populations and their dominant religions that were preached or practiced in those respective countries. We're talking 1712, okay? And uh, I think I have a picture of William Carey there. There you go. Now Carey, as many of us may have heard, is the man who we often credit to be the father of modern day missions. And modern day missions is, it's because of him that we do missions today the way we do it. They used to do it very differently back then. But in this track that William Carey wrote, uh, I'm gonna mention a few of the countries that he listed out. A lot of countries have changed since the time that he had wrote this track. But I'm gonna talk about those countries and I'm gonna show you also what they, uh, what, how they are today the demographics and those statuses of those countries today. So in this list, he first mentioned Britain. You, might, you guys might have to put the pulpit. Let's do it. He mentioned Britain as the first one, and it was 12 million people back in Britain. And he said the majority were Protestants. Today, Britain is at 67.9 million, and it is Protestant, and the second most dominant is none, as in atheism. Then he, said, he mentioned Russia. It had 22 million. And then orthodoxy, or Christian orthodoxy, was the dominant religion. Today, Russia's at 147 million. <clears throat> and it's orthodox, it's pagan, and none. Then he mentioned China. China was at 60 million. And he mentioned the dominant religion was pagan. Today, China's at 1.4 billion people. And the majority religion is none, atheism. India, he mentioned, was at 50 million people. And the majority was Muslim and pagan. And then today, it's at 1.37 billion people and majority pagan. Then he mentioned Ceylon. Ceylon was at two million and majority pagan. Where is Ceylon? Today it's known as Sri Lanka and it's 21.8 million pagans and Catholics. Then he mentioned Java, Sumatra, Bhutan and Borneo. It was at 13 million majority pagans. Today it's at 270 0.2 million, known as Indonesia. Then he mentioned Mindanao, Bohol, Leyte, Cebu, Filipina, Negros Isles, Manila, 
These were all separate nations back then, right? And it was at 371,000. That was the population. Today, it's at 109 million. Back then, it was mostly Muslim and pagan. Today, majority Catholic and Protestant. There was another country he mentioned, New Holland. New Holland, 12 million people, mostly pagans. Today, it's known as Australia at 26 million. And then there was another one he mentioned, Abyssinia, which today we know as Ethiopia. He mentioned states of America because there was only 13 states back then. Today, we know it as the United States. And then he mentioned Terra de, La de Labrador, Canada, Hudson's Bay, Cape Breton. Today, we know it as Canada. Now, at the end of this tract that William Carey wrote, and I mentioned this quote, you could put it up. He says, at the end of this quote, first, the inhabitants of the world, according to this calculation, amount to about 731 million. That was the population of the world back then, in 17, uh, what was it, 1712. <clears throat> It must undoubtedly strike every considerate mind what a vast proportion of the sons of Adam there are who yet remain in the most deplorable state of heathen darkness without any means of knowing the true God except what are afforded them by the works. Now you can put the quote away, but as of November 15, 2022, two weeks ago, the world was introduced to its eighth billionth baby. Somewhere in the world, a family, a family rejoiced to see another child enter this world. And just as any other day in the 21st century, the world reached its milestone to have its greatest population number to date. It's the most we've ever had. But according to some experts in the UN, the world is projected to shrink in its population in 78 years, in 2100. And just to give you some perspective, I have some graphs here. First, we'll start with the world. There are five countries with the biggest populations today. First, there's China. Go for it. Then there's India. Then there's the USA. Then there's Indonesia. And then there's Pakistan, which is right beside India. Now, to give you a little bit more perspective, India has 1.37 billion people. That's bigger than all the Americas combined in its population. Go ahead. That little country has more people than all the Americas put together. It, I say it's little, it's actually not that little, but then to put a little more perspective, China alone and India put together has the bigger population than all the Americas, all of Europe, and all of Africa put together. So, you could put those away. Seeing the state of this world and understanding the Great Commission that Christ wants us to reach the world. 
you can't help but feel a bit hopeless in this endeavor. Because of Adam and the man who had given us the nature of sin, he pro- we're able to provoke God's wrath. Humankind is good at corruption. Humankind is good at committing atrocities. And I was speaking to someone uh, just casually. We were speaking about politics a while back. And as they asked me what I thought about the state of this world and how it's going in the world, you know, we talked about the different types of politics. And there's all these different philosophies on how a, world, uh, a country should be run. And they had all these ideas about why such and such person should be in such and such power because such and such can happen. And sure enough, we try to look for solutions amongst men and amongst all these different politicians, but what will always kind of change is that people's perception of how they like their politician or how the people feel about their politician is going to keep changing. Bottom line is, until Christ reigns, there won't be an end to the atrocities. There won't be an end to the depravity of man. Now, there was a time on earth when all hope seemed to be lost and when God had to wipe out the world with the flood and only the saved inhabited the earth. But yet, even when the saved were the only ones on earth, somehow sin found a way to come back up. It just took three generations, and all of a sudden, they're building a tower to Babel, in Babel. You see, it seems that God made a way for mankind still, even in, during those darkest times, to find hope. Hope. There was a man named Abram in a city called Ur. And when we read this passage that I'm about to show you, go ahead and put it up. When we read this passage, I want you to keep in mind of Sarah. Sarah, who was the barren wife of Abram. Isaiah 54, verse 1 to 3. Isaiah 54, verse 1 to 3. How is it that we can find hope? Isaiah 54, verse 1 to 3 says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, Thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Abram, he left the comfort of his peers, of his family, and he followed God. That's how we know him. He believed God's promise of a nation that will be made from him. But eventually, Abram also caught on that God was literally telling him that these descendants are going to come from him. Now, can you imagine the feeling that him and his wife were having when they realized that, well, my wife is barren. How's this going to work? 
this was, they had to have figured out that this was going to have to be a miracle. Sarah couldn't bear children, and God told her that she would. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus also told in Acts 1 verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. A look at Isaiah 54 verse 1 to 3, and comparing the two, God is saying, be hopeful. Be hopeful. In fact, you can be so hopeful that you can sing in the most hopeless of times and you can enlarge your tents. One would think, how? Eight billion people. We can't reach them all. It's impossible. It is. It is impossible. Now, children are to parents as converts are to the church. God has a great sense of humor. And the barren woman in this passage, the barren woman was the person that was going to have the many descendants compared to the married woman. So how, if we applied this passage to the church, would a barren church or a barren Christian have the capacity to rejoice in the midst of such hopelessness? How can we give birth to more converts? Eight billion people. How much resources are we going to need? How much time do we have left? How can we sing in a time like this? And how can we enlarge our tents? Before we begin, we'll open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the, everyone that is here. I thank you, Lord, for the safety you've provided us and thus far, Lord, allowing preaching to happen. And I pray, Father, that you would get a hold of our hearts, that, Lord, that you would speak through me and it wouldn't be my words, but, Lord, that you would be the one speaking to hearts today. And I pray, Father, that we would get the vision and that we would understand, Lord, your commission. Help us to get your heart and understand it, and Lord, to do your will when it comes to missions especially. And Lord, we pray that you would just get a hold of us today and help us to say that we've been changed after all of this in your house, Lord. We thank you and praise you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, first, let's sing. And by singing, I mean the reason the church or the Christian can sing is because the more connected the church is to Christ, the more we can expect from God. Singing, after all, is an outpouring of joy. It's an outpouring of joy, right? And we love to sing when we feel joyful. That's why we do choruses, right? Because we want to be in that state of joy on a constant basis. Perhaps the greatest amount of joy, though, for a church to... It, that a church can have is when it's seeking to do God's will. That's where the greatest amount of joy is. And here God commands the church to sing because our joy is not hinging on the little circumstances we find ourselves in. It's not hinging on the fact that we are barren. Our joy hinges on whether as a church and as individual Christians... 
We are doing God's will. That's what matters. Because the work of conversion is not the job of the church, after all. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that does the converting. And you can see here, if you're back in Isaiah 54, verse, uh, verse number 5, it says, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. Perhaps you can imagine there was a time in Sarah's life where she felt ashamed because of her barrenness. Remember, she came from a culture that, that that's what they glorified in a woman. They wanted to see children. The reason perhaps for her shame was tied to the fact that she was in a culture that only valued women that were fertile. It's sad news. And often mankind has placed different and unnecessary barriers and benchmarks, perhaps, I should say, for what is joy and where they find their happiness. Oftentimes, perhaps, I remember when I was a teenager, it was the parents' approval. It was my good grades. It was my scholarships. It was my groups of friends. It was perhaps even my crush. It was perhaps my sports. These were the places where I thought I found joy. And I've seen perhaps even in adults, it was money, job stability, perception amongst their peers, how they saw themselves amongst their friends. Perhaps it was their, the happiness of their own children. Perhaps it was their status at work or even sometimes what they drove, their vehicle. But here in this passage, God is telling us, forget what society is telling us. Forget what society is telling you. The Bible is the benchmark that actually matters. Perhaps in life, we don't need to actually impress the world. We don't need to impress the world. Look at verse, 5, uh, verse 4. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed. Neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame. For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Abraham and Sarah, in the end, they did figure that out. They did figure it out. And for us, our joy is found in doing God's will. And in this season, we want to place a premium on doing God's will when it comes to worldwide missions. Worldwide evangelism. How could we glorify God in missions? Some have thought of excuses that this was just something told to the apostles. The Great Commission, it was just given to the apostles and the disciples. It doesn't really matter to us today. Some have thought that. But you can almost see there's a problem there. Why is God calling people into full-time ministry today then? Why would God call missionaries today? Take a look at Matthew chapter 28. Leave your finger there, by the way. But let's turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. This is Jesus talking to his disciples 
but through the disciples, he's talking to us as well. Verse 19 and 20, it says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And look at this. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So if somebody says, well, this was only given to the apostles and the disciples, well then, so the promise of God being with us doesn't apply to us today. God is not with us then. Because that was the context. See, God has a will that needs to be performed. That's why he is coming with us. Our joy comes from doing that will. I want to give you a story here. In 1812, there was a young Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson and his wife became Baptists, and they were baptized by an assistant pastor that was working alongside William Carey in India. Carey made aware to Judson that as products were being traded from place to place, the world is starting to open up to missions work. And what he realized is it was producing new opportunities for missionaries to minister in different lands. So they were starting to consider the foreign Western world and outside the foreign Western world. So Judson, he ended up in Burma because he was first rejected to work in India. During his trip to Burma from India, his wife, who was pregnant with their first child, she miscarried. But once they got to Burma, Judson also realized the Burmese people don't actually speak English. And they have no knowledge of God either because Burmese people were majority Buddhist. So Judson, he went through the toil of studying Burmese just so he can start evangelizing these people and so he could reach them out. And, well, he went through the toil of studying and he preached his first sermon to the Burmese people in 1819. So if you're doing the math, from 1812 to 1819, it took him about seven years to learn the language. And... Fifteen people attended his service. It's a pretty good number, I'd say. Fifteen people. And of the fifteen, one man got saved. The man's name was Mong Na. Okay? But Judson recognized that the people were generally apathetic towards the preaching. They didn't really care too much about his message. And it was also during this time that he was having his second son. But his second son also passed away at the age of eight. In 1822, Judson was able to report that there were 18 converts that had gotten baptized. But then in 1824, Judson was imprisoned at war as a war broken, uh, broke out between Burma and the UK. They were suspecting him to be a spy of some kind. At the end of the war, in 1826, Judson's wife passes away. But then he was also granted a job to translate for the, uh, for the English from the Burmese. Judson remarried in 1834. He had eight children, but only five survived. And his second wife passed away in 1845. 
Then in 1846, he remarried again and had two children, but only one survived. Judson would die of lung infection on a ship ride back to America four years after his last marriage. Now, many, at his time especially, many considered his life to be a waste, a waste of life. Judson didn't even get a burial. In fact, he was just thrown off board. But near the end of his life, his last wife had the last conversation with him. Judson, knowing full well that he may die while at sea, said this. You could put up that quote there. Oh, no, death will never take me by surprise. Do not be afraid of that. I feel so strong in Christ. He has not led me so tenderly thus far to forsake me at the very gate of heaven. No. No, I'm willing to live a few years longer. If it should be so ordered, and if otherwise, I'm willing and glad to die now. I leave myself entirely in the hands of God to be disposed of according to his holy will. Now, now one would almost think, yikes, he died at sea. His life stunk. So many people passed away under his ministry. Why in the world would someone want to choose a life like that? But you can see that Judson, especially from his last quote, his last words, Judson had joy that was grounded in doing God's will. That's all that mattered. God's will. It was only later after he died that everyone saw fruit from his life's ministry. He saw the majority of his converts after he passed away. In the English world today, we like to use Webster's Dictionary, at least for Bible study. In Burma, they use Judson's Dictionary for their Bible study. Judson left a mark. In the end, Judson realized that it was actually not him who had the strength to sing when barren. It was the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We sing it as a chorus, but let's also believe it. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Within his seemingly hopeless life, Judson understood that God will hold up God's side of the bargain. We can have joy because we know that pursuing God's will allows God to do whatever he wants with us. God told Judson to go. Judson went. And he knew that God will hold his side of the bargain. He obtained the joy of the Lord. Judson was able to sing in his last breath. So our first point today is find joy in seeking after God's will. Giving your life to God for God's service, that will help you to sing. Meeting with God in prayer on a daily basis, that will give you a reason to sing. Showing love to the unlovable, that will give you a reason to sing. Ministering to people that we wouldn't naturally minister to, that will give you a reason to sing. And giving to missions by faith, that will give us reason to sing. By doing God's will, we can expect more from God. 
So then we get to our second point. Let's enlarge our tents. The second point is let's enlarge our tents. It is one thing to seek to do God's will. But it's another thing to want to reach the next level in seeking to do God's will. In other words, don't stop just at surface level, but aim for higher. Aim to go deeper. The Great Commission doesn't stop at our first convert, right? But it ought to keep growing. It ought to make us want to keep growing. It's great that someone decided to join a ministry, but then if they're just stuck at the beginner parts of that ministry, there's a problem. There is so much more room to grow. But imagine if they just stopped at the beginning stages. A Christian that is constantly seeking God's will also seeks to grow in the Lord and in what they do for the Lord. We can grow, and honestly, we can grow. Oftentimes, we underestimate how much God can do with us. We can set aside time to do more. We can set aside resources to do more. We can prioritize God a lot more in our schedules. And we can stop underestimating God as well. Throughout this whole month of November, Pastor was speaking about giving for faith promise. And I couldn't help but remember when I first gave to faith promise. I was just 18 years old when I first gave. And I didn't actually have a job. But the Lord laid it on my heart to give. And I decided, okay, I'm going to give $20 a month. Somehow, in some way, God allowed me to keep that promise for a whole year. When the month was coming to a close, and I had run out of money to give, someone would ask me, hey, could you repair my computer? Now, it's my conviction that I will never ask for money from somebody who asks me for uh, some kind of help. And so I let them donate if they want to donate, but I never ask for money. But sure enough, for the next three months, I have enough money to give to God again. I, pers- I purposed in my heart that I would increase my missions giving once I got a job. And I did. I got my first job while I was in Bible college. And I made sure that I paid all my tuition fees without the help of my parents. And when it came time for missions, I had indeed increased my giving because I wanted to enlarge my tent. There were years where I felt like I should stop increasing. The devil was in the back of my head saying, that's enough. You don't need to give more. You're going to go broke, man. But then I thought, then this other thought came to me. If I gave up coffee for, uh, in a month, that is a potential increase in giving that I could make. So I stopped going to Starbucks four times a week. And instead, I took that money and I put it towards missions. And that was how I started increasing. And then I also realized, you know, buying coffee and making it at home isn't so bad. But I saved a ton of money. But it still let me have more room to enlarge my tent. Knowing that one day I will be on the mission field, 
I don't know how I would have felt as a missionary if, somewhat, if I had heard that somebody had stopped giving towards missions. I don't know how my conscience would feel. But I knew that if I'm somebody going towards missions and I stop giving towards missions or I stop increasing to give to missions, that I would feel ashamed. Because we know that there's a principle of sowing and reaping. And God keeps making that promise that if we sow, we will also reap. And if we increase that which we sow, we will also increase in that which we will reap. And I believe that if we keep sowing into missions, that God will keep increasing our blessings as a church. And indeed, that verse number three, going back to Isaiah. Let's go back to Isaiah. Isaiah 54. It says, For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. That verse 3 is talking about that. Increasing the size of your tent so that God could fill it with more children. So that God could fill it with more fruit. We want to see more people saved. If we were the barren woman, this would have just sounded extraordinary. But to God, all of this is possible. We can be sure that we can attempt great things for God. So my conclusion here is you can expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. The world seems to be in a hopeless situation. But God gave us missions as the answer to fix the problem. So let's do it together. Let's do it together. When I was first courting my wife, she knew full well that I was never intending to remain in Canada. She knew I was someone training to leave to the mission field one day. A few months from now, I hope to be bringing her here, her hand in mine. But in a few years from now, we'll also be packing. We'll be selling everything we have. And we'll be on the road on deputation, just like the many missionaries that have come by our church. And I'd be doing the same at other churches and going on deputation and raising support. But at some point, Pastor Devian is not going to be in Grace Baptist Church. I won't be running up ladders and I'm not going to be troubleshooting at the sound booth. I'll be at different churches raising support and on the mission field with my wife. But at some point, I'd hope to have the privilege to come back here one day on furlough. But wouldn't it have been sad to see that there's a report that there's less in missions this year at Grace Baptist Church? Wouldn't it be sad for Miss Roman to come back because that last 6% wasn't being made for missions? I hope and pray that Grace Baptist Church will be able one day to enlarge its tents. I hope one day we will have our own building 
and we will have a tent to show that it's our own, that the Lord had brought it. I hope that one day we can say that the Lord has allowed us to grow in missions and enlarge our tents because we have continued in missions more than ever before. In the meantime, I'll continue to minister here and we need one more year to finish flyering even our maps. This map here, just one more year and we'll be done. For flyering at least. But I promise you, you will find joy if you help us. Help, come and help us. Would you help us so that you can find joy as well in the Lord? So that you can enlarge your tents? If you still haven't put in your faith promise, would you consider to do it? By giving up perhaps a coffee or a bubble tea? Would you consider perhaps to becoming more committed to a ministry also that you are a part of perhaps? Or perhaps you don't have a ministry. Would you join one? But in this time where the work seems larger than ever, eight billion people just two weeks ago, so it's bigger now, eight billion people, and where many have lost hope, let's expect great things from God. In this time where many don't bother to even try, let's attempt great things for God. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.